Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. I'm going to tell you where my mind goes when I hear the golden ticket. First place my mind goes, I asked them to put this on the screen, to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I understand I don't want any of the super spiritual people. Don't show yourselves. That's just where my mind went. But for those that are younger, as I was asking folks, what comes to your mind when you hear the golden ticket? It's not Willy Wonka. It is, in fact, the Polar Express. Now, both of these, I understand, are children's novels. They are completely make-believe and fantasy stories. In Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, you could win an opportunity to go and tour the chocolate factory. What kid wouldn't want that? But on top of that, you would also have the opportunity, if you were a winner, to receive a lifetime supply of Wonka's chocolate. Now, that's pretty good, but the plot for the Polar Express, I thought, was even more interesting because the kid there had the opportunity to be handpicked as the fantasy goes, to receive the first Christmas present of the year. And upon that, there was no restrictions. So that kid that was picked could choose anything in the world. Now, we're having a little bit of fun, and we're talking about the golden tickets. These children's stories that were later turned into movies have taken the understanding that every one of us as human beings truly possesses inside. Maybe it'll help you if I read the definition from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. The golden ticket, this word, an extremely valuable opportunity or a means of access to or achieving something desired. So not far off from what these children were doing in their make-believe story with their literal golden tickets. For us in this day and age, it is that opportunity that is presented to us that could give us something that otherwise we could never possess in our lives. Something that maybe we would only dream about possessing or dream about having the opportunity to partake in, but the golden ticket is used to represent that opportunity. Now, as we read into the text, we know as believers that there is no opportunity for a human being that's any greater than an encounter with Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our Healer. He is our Waymaker. God can do for us what no one else can do beyond our greatest imaginations and beyond our greatest dreams. Our God 
can do. And better than that, he doesn't give us chocolate because it's coming out of the desire of a young child or a Christmas gift because it's coming out of the one hand picked by Santa. But he knows what's best for us. He knows what we actually need. And he is the God that delivers unto us that which we need, not that which we want. The opportunity of a lifetime. Now, as we're looking at this text here, and we're reading it, and we see that Jesus is standing up, and he's crying out. For us to truly get a full understanding of the magnitude of what is taking place here, we need to view it from the canvas that brings this story to life. The backdrop of this entire chapter is that during this time, the Feast of the Tabernacles is taking place. This is a week-long feast of which there's been pilgrimage. Jews have been traveling in from all over the place to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast. And they're celebrating how God had delivered them out of bondage from Egypt and brought them in to the wilderness. And it's called the Feast of Tabernacles because they were made to dwell in these temporary houses, tents, booths, or tabernacles. And so picture with me Jerusalem packed with thousands and thousands of people that are there for this celebration. During the celebration, as you can imagine, like like our celebrations, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, there were certain rituals and customs that they followed. And there's one specific that I want to expose to us and take a look at this morning, and that is the water-pouring ceremony. The water-pouring ceremony began each morning while the sacrifices were being prepared. This table over here represents the altar. And the high priest, at the beginning of that morning, while the sacrifices were being prepared, he would grab a golden picture. I need you to use your imagination. Budget productions, they're low. All right, we don't, this is a golden vessel. We just talked about golden tickets. Surely we can imagine a golden vessel. So the high priest has the golden vessel, and he's going to make his way from the altar at the temple over to the Pool of Siloam. And on the trip there, there are pilgrims and worshipers following all behind, and they're reciting the Hallel, which means to praise and it references Psalms chapter 113 through 118. And you can go back later and, and take a look at it. But it's just descriptive word after descriptive word being used to praise and to magnify God. In fact, so much so that this particular feast was referred to as the most celebratory feast of them all. There was just worship and praise going continually, very intentionally as they were honoring what God had done before, but looking ahead into anticipation at what he was going to do. 
And so the high priest has the the golden vessel and he's making his way and everybody's worshiping behind him. He's making his way to the pool of Siloam and when he gets to the pool of Siloam, plunges the pitcher and fills it with water. This happens each day of this week-long feast. Without missing a beat, they now have the pitcher full of water and he's making his way back to the temple. None of the worship stopped. None of the praise stopped. It all continues the entire time they're walking because they understand that what this pouring of the water represents is their anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And so they're built with excitement on the coming day of the Messiah and the outpouring of his spirit as promised. And so they get into the south gate, which is known as the water gate, makes their way to the altar, and since this is the seventh day, they don't just make one trip around it, they make several trips around it, and then they get ready to pour the water. And while they were praising and singing and worshiping all the way up to here, if historians have it right, that's when it starts to get silent. If you were close enough, you could even hear the water was poured out. And you've got to place yourself in their shoes. Year after year, for so many years, they've been at this festival and they've been practicing this ceremony in anticipation for this promise that is to come. So excitement is built in their hearts. They know what's going to come next as the water's being poured out because once the water is completely emptied, it is in that moment where you don't even hear it flowing anymore. Everybody is silent just before they begin to break out in praise and in worship. And it is in that moment that the silence is broke by the voice of Jesus Christ who says that if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Because he that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now you got to know that just a few chapters, three chapters before this, there was a meeting, a private meeting that Jesus had with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was talking to him and Jesus was telling him how to be saved. And he said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That was to the religious leader. One chapter later, there is another meeting that takes place, another private one, but this time it's not with the religious elite. It's with a Samaritan woman at a well. And he's there with her. The Jews looked down and despised the Samaritans, and the Samaritans looked down based on her lifestyle and despised her. She was a total outcast. She was the lowest of the low by societal standards. And yet Jesus met with her just like he met with him. Now hold on. That's not the exciting part yet. Look what he tells her. If thou knewest the gift of God... 
in who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He goes on to tell her, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well springing up to everlasting life. Jesus, at this moment, could appear reckless to some folks. Why would you disturb the ceremony, Jesus? We have it all figured out. We know what we're doing. We've been practicing it for years. Everyone came from around to be here for this moment of anticipation. First, Jesus stood up and cried out to let them know you no longer need to wait with anticipation for that which you seek is here. I'm here. But there was something else critical about the message and why Jesus was so intentional and how he delivered it. Because at this feast, especially this feast, you had the Jewish believers and then you had the Gentiles who were believers. And while they both believed in God and while they both practiced the same things to honor him and while they both believed and anticipated in the coming Messiah, the Gentiles were still not on the same level as the Jews. They were still not there. And so what Jesus did so intentionally here is he said, enough, I've had the meeting with the religious leader. I've had the private meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. Now I stand before all men in the presence of the Jews and in the presence of the Gentiles to say no more separation, no more segregation. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, smart or dumb, short, thank God, or tall. Doesn't matter. He was incredibly intentional. But hear me, he was no less intentional meeting you here than he was meeting them there. It is his desire for every person on this planet to know that he died for everyone. It doesn't matter how broken, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter how you look or how you smell, how you act. He didn't even say you gotta be honest or a person full of integrity. He said all you've got to do is thirst. And I don't know about you, I've met poor people and they get thirsty. I've met rich people and they get thirsty. People in jail, they get thirsty. People that are free, they get thirsty. No matter where you are in life, Jesus is saying you have the ability to thirst. And if you have the ability to thirst, then you can come to me and you can drink. Do I have any outdoorsmen? Like somebody could drop you off in the middle of a forest and you're going to survive. 
Is Brother Galleon here, or was he at the first service? Sister Galleon, I'm telling you, you got the man. If there's someone that can just do it all, preacher, well, you know what? You can't sing. Oh, neither can I. But Brother Galleon is that guy that you could drop off in the middle of the woods and he would figure it out, the sun, the way the leaves are turned, and he would be able to navigate. I'm not that guy. Where's my people that get lost in a roundabout? I'm not that guy either. <laughs> but you're my people. I'm the guy that I celebrate the fact that when I walk to the edge of the woods, there's a sign right there that said, here's the trail. And on that sign, it tells you that in like 0.2 miles, hopefully it's not two miles, you're gonna reach another place where there will be another sign that will be able to guide you. I appreciate that because it puts me on the path and gives me directions forward as I continue down that path. Can I tell you that Jesus has done that for us? He has given us the understanding of how we are to drink of this water. He's given us a measure of faith that if we activate it by placing it in him, it brings us to a place that we call repentance. Repentance, we often talk about it, is it's that moment when you, you choose to put your confidence in God in such a way that you stop going towards the things that please you and you start going towards the things that plead God. It's that moment of surrenderance. It's, it's when you pull out your, your white flag and you start to wave it before the Lord and you say, God, I've been trying for a long time to figure this thing out. I'm busted. Look over here, God, I'm telling you, I've failed, I've messed up. I've done everything I can and every time I'm still left empty. And that's what repentance is. That takes you on a step closer to him. And then as you're going down that trail, because it was a nice parks person to set it up for me, you see another sign. And that sign says that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. It's where you bury the old man in the waters of baptism. And when you come up, you are a new man. That old man is dead and is buried. He doesn't come out of the water. The scripture says it's for the remission of sin. I understand what modern translators are trying to do when they substitute that word with forgiveness. They're trying to just make a point that at the end of the day, you don't have to pay the debt. But what they're taking away from us is something critical because remission of sin and the forgiveness of it are two totally different things. If I owe a debt and then the person I'm indebted to says, hey, I forgive you of that debt. Don't worry about it. It doesn't need to be paid. Well, I'm forgiven, but that's not remission. Remission says that this debt must be paid. That no matter who it is, somebody will pay this debt, which the debt to sin we know is death. Life gone dead. And so when we 
are baptized and buried in the name of Jesus, it's not because our sin was forgiven. It's because our debt was paid. It's because he went to the cross where you and I belonged. Why is that so important? It's really important because you start to recognize how much he values you. It's one thing to forgive a sin. It's a totally different thing to allow your hands to be pierced, to allow your feet to be pierced as you're nailed to the cross, the King of kings and Lord of lords who never did anything wrong took your place and my place. Oh, you say, look, I can't, that doesn't even make sense. My mama doesn't value me like that. I got family that doesn't look at me like I matter like that. I've worked on jobs where they don't seem to value me. I understand. He's different. He's different. He doesn't just say he values you. He proves that he values you. He gave his life to show you how much he values you. Then we're promised that we will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said it in John 37 through 39 that this promise is for those that believe. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you're on that same trail we were on a few minutes ago, it's like getting to that place where the sign has this massive waterfall. And you're like, I've seen trees. I've seen some flowers, some ugly birds, a couple of squirrels that look like rats. But now I've gotten to this place on this path that I'm walking. And there's this beautiful waterfall. That's what comes to my mind on this trail. When I think about the baptism of the whole, it is his spirit coming to live inside of us. And when it happens, we speak in a language that we don't know is the spirit of God gives us the utterance. It's that for sure moment when you know that you know that you've experienced it. I think it, I thought it was a little strange from a human perspective. Why this, God? Until you recognize that he's taking control of that one part of your body, the scripture says, is the most unruly. That one thing that man could work a lifetime trying to tame and would still never be successful, God does it in a moment. Now, I don't know about you. That's convincing. That lets me know that I've now been filled with his spirit and his beautiful as beautiful as turning my life over to Christ and, and being buried in his name and coming out of the water a new man and all my sins being washed away, as beautiful as it is to speak in that heavenly language and to have the Spirit coming to live inside of me, the best part I can tell you is it's just the beginning. It's just, this is the starting line. 
what God has for you will be building each and every day that you walk here on this earth. Strength that you didn't know you could possess. Joy. Come on, somebody ever have joy? Joy that you can't explain? You got joy when the dishwasher's not working. You got joy when you got a flat tire. You got joy when it doesn't make sense to have joy because the joy's not in the things of this world. It's in the things that we find in him. What about peace? Oh, I've been in places. You've been in places. You don't need my story. You got your own story. You know what it was like when you were in positions and you should not have any peace at all. It should not be existing in the moment, but somehow the presence of God covers you with a peace that you can't understand that passes all of our understanding. No matter how hard we try to fathom it, we will never know how in these moments the power of God can give us such peace. But he does it. He does it. What God wants us to know is everyone can come and drink. There are those blessings as we enter into that new birth experience with Jesus Christ that are for everyone. Every person experiences the same. That's pretty fair for the guy that doesn't get picked for anything athletic. I like this plan. Everybody gets the same. The new birth is the same whether you're from the United States or from some backside of a mountain in another country. It's still the same, and God moves just the same among them as he moves among us. The power of God is the same. And so we can experience that. That's the first thing he wants us to do. He wants us to drink. The second thing he wants us to do talks about this living this life and life more abundantly. This is when we're getting past the new birth thing, right? Like nobody has a baby and expects that baby to stay a baby forever. The Lord doesn't expect that of you either. He expects us to go through this new birth process that gives us everything we need to be raised up to the men and women of God he intends to fulfill the potential that we can only find in Jesus Christ. And so he wants you to get a hold of those things we were just talking about. He wants you to grab a hold of the peace. He wants you to get a hold of the joy. He wants you to get a hold of the wisdom. He wants you to get a hold of the strength. And he wants you to know that once you get a hold of it, no one can take it from you. He gave you the ability to possess it but he gave no one the power to take it from another. Not a man, not a devil. No one has the ability to strip from you what God has given you to possess. It belongs to you. It's yours. He intends for you to use it and enjoy it while you're living this life here on earth. But here's what happens. Sometimes we reach a place. Stand with me. It's my last point. 
Sometimes we reach a place where we know we went through the new birth experience. We know, man, we're, we're in it. We're doing good. We're grabbing a hold of joy. We're snagging up some strength. We're looking for some wisdom. We're looking for some peace, and we get a hold of it. But then life happens. Maybe a sickness hits you where God doesn't heal you or sickness hits a family member and he doesn't respond the way we think he should respond and without even realizing it, we're loosening up our grip. And then it starts to slip out of our hand. First, we start to notice we don't have the peace today like we used to have it. I'm here to tell you that God intends for the same peace he gave you in the beginning to be the same peace you enjoy today and the same peace that will be with you for the rest of your days here on earth. The same with the joy and the same with everything else that he gives you. He doesn't want you letting go. He wants you to hold on because if you find yourself with less peace today, it's not because someone took it from you. It's because you let it go. Jesus talks about his sheep knowing his voice and being in the hand of his father and no one can pluck us out of his hand. Isaiah talks about no weapon being formed against us shall prosper. Hear the words of this man today. Get a hold of it and don't let go. You got to remember, you're not the one that built your house on sand. You built your house on a solid rock so that when the wind blows and when the rain comes, you stand strong in Him. You may be in this place today. And you've made it as far as coming to Jesus. But you've yet to drink. You've come to church maybe many times in the past and you're present here today and you've never really grabbed your spiritual flag and said, God, I surrender. You've never made the commitment to him that would lead you to the baptism in his name for the remission of your sins. You've never surrendered yourself in a way where God could fill you with his spirit. Can I ask you, if you believe what Jesus has said, what's stopping you? What would hinder you today from making up in your mind and in your heart, I repent. I want to be washed clean. I want your sacrifice, God, to be applied to my life, and I want to be filled with your spirit. Or maybe you did all of those things long ago. You've been baptized, you've been filled with the spirit. You've gotten a hold of those promises and you've held on so tight. But of late, you don't have the same peace that you used to have and 
You don't have the same joy that you used to have. And you find yourself getting easily frustrated when that was not you before. I would ask you the same question. If that's you, what would hinder you from coming to this altar today and spiritually speaking, getting a hold of it and and wrapping it around so tight that no matter who comes up and pulls with all their might, they're not getting it from you. You can't have my joy. You can't have my peace. You can't have my strength. This was not given by you. Therefore, you can't.